Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. Joe is on parental leave, so I have a special guest co-host for this episode. It is David Streepy, who co-hosts the podcast Talkin' Tofu. Hey, yeah, uh, thank you. Congratulations to Joe. Uh, I'm a longtime stuffy, and uh, is that what you call your fans? Do, do your fans have a... <laughs> I don't think they have a name. No, no, no. Stuffy. I guess or... Mindies. 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 Weird houses. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't know that they really call themselves anything. Do do fans of your podcast call themselves something? Uh, we call them toeheads, but toe uh, I don't. I don't know anybody who has self-identified as a or you know. I'm we we have fans, but I don't know that anybody's waving the toehead flag really loudly and proudly yet. But we're we're trying to get it in there. What's your quick uh, you know elevator pitch? description of talking tofu oh well so my wife and i are a couple of goblins when it comes to snacking we are both vegans uh we couldn't really find a fun podcast about vegan snacking so we decided to make one ourselves it's i'd say 30 percent snacking and 70 percent whatever else is going on in our lives uh we just finished a recording we went to universal studios florida to try out the vegan food there 
It was mostly about the rides that we rode and the things that we encountered while we were there. A little bit about the food, but just having fun with our family. Uh, and, and most episodes are kind of follow that, that trend. It's a very funny podcast, though. It's, Thank there's, you. There's a lot of laughter. Ah, you're too nice. Thank you. And you guys have done some movie episodes before as well. Uh, talked about uh, what are some of the movies uh, you guys have chatted about? Let's see. We've done Scream 3. I think we've done Scream 2 and Scream 3. And because this is spooky season, you may expect Scream 4 to happen. Uh, we usually pair that with some vegan candy that we'll, we'll go through and snack on while we recount the plot. We also uh, do, we've done When Harry Met Sally, which I had never seen before, uh, mm-hmm. which it's an amazing movie, Rob. I don't know if you've seen it. This is the one with the Bigfoot in it, the Sasquatch? No, that's Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, okay, Common misconception, very common misconception. Okay. That's the uh, one I've seen, not this yeah. one. <laughs> you got to see When Harry Met Sally. We should have done yeah. When Harry Met Sally for Spooky <laughs> Season. Uh, fantastic movie, though. You got you to gotta check it out. I know the rest of the world was already there. I was kind of late to the party, but it, it really holds up. So yeah, we'll do that. Uh, we've watched Singles, the Cameron Crowe movie from 1992 that's the mm-hmm. grunge scene and. Uh, Seattle. It's probably not a very accurate representation of the grunge scene in Seattle in 1992, but had a lot of fun with that one. So yeah, it's kind of all over the place. Things that one or the other of us have held dear in our hearts that the other one hasn't seen. Um, I think most recently we did Hackers from 1995, Johnny Lee Miller, Angelina Jolie. Fantastic movie. I mean, there's the, there's a good movie, there's a great movie, there's a fantastic movie. None of these are objective terms, really. But for me, it just <laughs> really just hits me right right in the core. But Hacker's 100% accurate when it comes to the, the hacking <laughs> lifestyle of the time period. 100% accurate. All computers on the inside look like cityscapes drawn in green lines that you have to navigate through and find the right door to put the right icon into, yes. Now, speaking of... Um being late to the party on films. Uh, the film we're going to be talking about here today, 1987's The Gate. Uh, this is a film that I think we're both in the same boat on this one, right? We we both uh, have memories of like at least some of the promotional materials for this film, but neither of us had seen it until now. That's right. I was really familiar with this one as a kid. I was pretty shy about scary movies as a kid, and particularly... I, I remember getting per- specifically burned with Poltergeist mm-hmm. because Poltergeist, I, I did see as a child, as an eight-year-old, it had a child in it. So I thought yeah. that it was okay for children. And that film's very not okay for the children. Um, very not okay for children. Yeah, not at all. I, I too saw Poltergeist at, at a very young age. It was one of these where I think my aunt had taped a bunch of movies off of HBO and I don't know, I don't even know how this ended up happening, but I ended up watching at least parts of Poltergeist and it just really scared the heck out of me. I just, I, I, I it, would, it would, even just hearing, it was one of these things where whatever the movie was that was taped, there were like three movies taped per VHS and whatever was taped directly ahead of Poltergeist was a family film of some kind. <laughs> and so you had to like be super on your guard to stop the tape before the Poltergeist intro started playing, because that alone would creep me out. <laughs> I think Poltergeist was one that really stuck out to me, not just as a, a incorrect read that child means safe for children, but it was gross horror. It was... and And... That was the first exposure that I had really had to gross out 
stuff being in a film. So I thought that horror movies were ghosts jumping out at you. I was a child. I had no idea. I thought that it was just, you know, haunted house things that, that would scare you. But the, the grossness of it fascinated and terrified me. It was not... I, I was not brave enough to overcome my terror to indulge the fascination of it. And still it's one of those ones that to this day, I, I can't really go back to just because of how badly it scarred me as a child. But I guess my point being that around that time I was seeing the marketing for the gate. I was seeing the marketing for house, which was another mm-hmm. movie. I lump all of those together and kind of that, not for me <laughs> as a child, uh, a not for me kind of category. Yeah, the trailer and the VHS art really stuck out to me and kind of reinforced the not for me ness of it. I think the and and um, specifically the the poster art, the VHS cover art. It's very sinister, very dark. Does not seem like it's it's going to be for children. And I don't want to jump too far ahead. I I don't know that this movie is for children, but it's definitely kid friendly i think more than i was expecting i'm sorry yeah it's the gate is surprisingly kid friendly and and yeah that that comparison to poltergeist i think is very apt it it feels in many ways like poltergeist for kids like one of the things that i i still find terrifying and uh, terrifying and super weird about poltergeist even looking back on it and having rewatched it as an adult is that it seems like a movie where not just typical haunted house stuff happens but like you, but you don't know what will happen. There seem to be no rules regarding what's going to jump out at you. Um, one second, it's somebody thinks their face is meat. Then, uh, then pizza's crawling around, and then some sort of extra-dimensional dragon is climbing out of the wall or something. It's just whatever the effects team can think up is going to come at you. And there's a similar vibe in the gate, but at the same time, the kids in the gate. Uh, feel like like real central characters with with actual identities and relationships to each other and the film doesn't have a mean objective in its relationship to those children or presumably to the children that may be watching the film that's that's a good point and i think a a big difference for me would probably be the in poltergeist they they wanted you to either leave the house or they'd kill you yeah and the gate i'm not really sure what the gate wants <laughs> Or what the what the demons in the gate want? They they don't they only seem to want to get out of the gate. And I guess I guess that's it. I guess they don't care who's in their path or what happens to the people in their path. But then they spend a lot of time with the people who are in their path, and and that kind of confuses me a little bit about it too. Yeah, as we'll discuss when we get into the plot, they do seem to have a couple of things they need to check off the box. I mean, maybe one big objective, but kind of a roundabout way to get there. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like there's a, a solid plan that they can refer to. It's it's a lot of instinct. Yeah, I, I never saw this film as a kid. I remember seeing the box art. Weirdly enough, at some point, I remember I watched the 1990 sequel, The Gate 2, on TV at some point in the 90s, I'm sure. And the main thing that sticks out to me in that is that it features a lot of demonic wish-granting in which the thing that you wished for literally literally turns to poop like the next day. (laughs) So there's like a scene where the night before some awful teenager wished for a sports car and, you know, he's torn around all over the place in the sports car during the night. The next day, there's just like an elephant's worth of poop in front of the house. And this happens multiple times? Well, I think so, yeah. Anything you wish for, it turns to poop. Yeah. What? 
So I don't want to get too hung up on this, but is this the same big demon from the gate one? I don't remember. The only thing I remember vaguely is the older Terry character played by the same actor. Like he's back in the sequel, some of the creative team and the director are the same. But the only thing I remember is demonic wishes turn to poop the next morning. And, uh, you know, at at the time uh, it was like, all right, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's how demons work. That's a that's a bullseye of a premise, and I love the idea that this demon tried his best to get out of that gate legitimately in this episode, or in this mm-hmm. movie, but then in his retirement, he just kind of became a trickster wish fulfillment, yeah. <laughs> and, and that was how he went out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't remember, I can't really speak to the quality of Gate 2, but I do admire that they they went in a slightly different direction on it. They didn't just do the gate again. Uh, but at any rate, uh, the gate too is a discussion for another time. <laughs> uh, we're here to, to talk about the gate. So you mentioned that trailer. Let's go ahead and listen to that trailer audio right here. Great. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. Someone has opened the gate. There's this weird tearing sound there. It's the decomposed corpse of her dead father. Oh no. He's tearing out here by the hands. I'm calling the police. You got demons. Great trailer, probably not 100% loyal to the actual tone of the film, but we have excellent narration by the great Percy Rodriguez, who lived 1918 through 2007. He was also an accomplished actor, but he did a ton of voiceovers for film trailers in the 70s and 80s, and his voice alone is is, is enough to make you think, well, this is not for children. Listen to this very scary adult talk about the gate. 100%. 100%. This this reinforces the, hey, this is not for me. It also really showcases some of the movie's biggest moments and, and gives you some of the biggest effects. It holds a few things back, but the overall tone's very sinister. It's very dark. It seems paced as almost kind of a torturous movie. Like the, mm-hmm. the It really showcases the peril that the kids are all in and kind of their reaction to that peril. So yeah, if I had... The GBs hearing about this movie, this trailer definitely would have scared me away for good. Yeah, it's a lot of screaming kids, but I, you don't really see all the scenes of kids being strong in it. And there, there are a lot of scenes where the kids are brave and, and admirable in the film. Uh, but yeah, also, it does spoil a lot of the big effects in the movie. So don't watch the trailer if you are looking to go into this one kind of fresh. 100%. I think the uh, 
I was blessed with distance between the last time I had seen the trailer for this movie and actually watching the movie because I came into it pretty cold and then rewatched the trailer after the fact. And I was really glad I did because I was very surprised by how competent this movie is and by how much I enjoyed everything that happened in it, even though it wasn't what I was expecting it to be. Yeah. All right, before we get into uh, the connections, the people involved in this movie, uh, where can you watch it? Well, The Gate is was a fairly big release. It's widely available for digital purchase and rental everywhere. I streamed it as part of AMC+, Plus, but I think it's also available on some free streaming sites. And there's also a pretty stacked Blu-ray edition that came out in 2017, and it's loaded with extras. It's amazing to me that... Uh, such a lovingly curated Blu-ray would exist of this movie. It amazes me that there's a sequel to it. And it, you know, it strikes me as a largely forgotten film and that's clearly not the case. That's my misread of the, of how, of what his legacy is. All right. Let's start at the top. The director is Tibor Takac. Born 1954, Hungarian-born director who kicked off his career with the 1978 Canadian dystopian rock opera Metal Messiah. Um, uh, after wow. this film, he did 1989's I, Madman and The Gate 2. He directed four different episodes of the 1990s Outer Limits series, Dave. Whoa. I don't know if we've actually watched any of these. They include If These Walls Could Talk, The Voyage Home, White Light Forever, and Blood Brothers. The Voyage Home sounds familiar, but that's also a Star Trek movie, so I might just be thinking of that. <laughs> Uh, his subsequent credits include a mix of TV episodes and eventually some sci-fi original programming, uh, uh, you know, that caliber of film, including 2005's Mansquito, which at the time, when it first came out, I think looked pretty bad, but we had no idea about how bad uh, direct-to-sci-fi channel movies would get. <laughs> and, you know, I, I today I am committing to come back for your ep- your Mansquito episode. <laughs> I'm not brave enough yet. I've got to get my courage up. All right, so that's the director. The writer is Michael Nankin, born 1955. uh, Accomplished TV director, writer, and producer. He wrote 1987's Ruskies and episodes of TV shows such as Life Goes On, Chicago Hope, the 1990s Flipper Show. As a director, he's done a ton of TV work, including episodes of Life Goes On, the Battlestar Galactica reboot, and one episode of The Good Lord Bird. And I think he also wrote I, Madman as well. Huh. You know, it doesn't surprise me that he's predominantly a TV writer because I got a very TV vibe from the snappiness of the dialogue in this movie, especially Mm -hmm. the way that the children talk to each other. I thought was very authentic, first of all, but also really snappy. Yeah, I don't clearly remember specific episodes of Life Goes On, but I think I watched some of it and it was just... That was a time during which I watched a lot of TV. So even if I didn't watch the show directly, I was very aware of it. And uh, yeah, there was like there's a wholesomeness to that show uh, that makes sense once you've watched The Gate all the way through. Otherwise, you might think life goes on in The Gate. What could they possibly have in common? <laughs> well, you know, there's uh, you get down to some of the character work. I think it makes sense. I think there's there's definitely a thread in the amount of care and respect given to a family dynamic, and mm-hmm. especially the way that kids interact with each other which is really difficult, I think, for an adult to write. Well, let's get into the kids. In fact, I don't have any data in here on the adult actors in the film. Uh, they, they all have just brief roles. For the most part, mom and dad and dad and any, any adult supervision is completely absent from the entire <laughs> film, which was an interesting choice. 
Yeah, I think that the the parents occupy maybe 45 seconds of screen time. And most of that time, they are either punishing the children or bad mouthing the Glenn's friend to Glenn, which is (laughs) just just bad behavior. Yeah. All right. Well, Glenn, yeah, Glenn is our central character, our main kid in this. And interestingly enough, is played by Stephen Dorff. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is the film debut of Stephen Dorff, born 1973. I think he's like 12 in this, though he looks he looks even younger. You buy him as even younger. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact he has a very, uh, you know, he has a little bit of baby fat in his face still. And has, uh, <laughs> it has a you know, very childlike quality to his face. Definitely. 12 is a shock to me. I would have said eight, seven or eight. Now, when we say the name Stephen Dorff, most People out there are probably familiar with him from such works as uh, as Blade, of course. He plays the villainous Deacon Frost opposite Wesley Snipes in that 1998 film. He was in uh, Stuart Gordon's Space Truckers in 96. Uh, he did uh, some bigger, also some bigger roles in uh, the early 90s, including The Power of One. And post-Blade, he was in such films as John Waters' Cecil B. Demented in 2000. He was in a what I remember as being a terrible horror movie from 2002, Fear.com. I've never seen any of these movies. Having not seen Blade is one of my secret shames. What? So I'm, I'm glad to reveal it here for your <laughs> listeners. Uh, I do need to correct that, especially before, you know, the, the rebooted Blade comes out. Um, so yeah, the, the gate is 100% of my exposure to Stephen Dorff. And, really? and it's a good okay. one. Now, prior to this, he he did have some roles um, on a, a few different TV shows, including the new Leave It to Beaver, Different Strokes, and In Love and War. I'm not familiar with that last one, but uh, but yeah, he'd already gotten his feet a little bit wet in the whole uh, child actor realm, and then he's off to the races as the star of the game. <laughs> and he does it competently. I can't. He he carries so much of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's really hard to overstate how competent of an actor he is in this one. Yeah, it's it's shocking, especially th- there are times too where you he'll he'll act in a certain way and you can sort of see the grown-up um Steven Dorff through him, especially if you've seen <laughs> other Steven Dorff films and you're like oh, it's 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 kind of weird. It's like staring through a time tunnel or something. <laughs> All right, so that's Glenn, uh, the the, uh, the the brother. And then we also have Glenn's sister, Al. Al is played by Krista Denton, uh, born 1972, and I think she does a great job in this, too. She was only active from 1984 through 1990. This is probably her most prominent role, but she also had some parts in 1985's The Bad Seed, 1986's Eight Million Ways to Die, and some episodes of Silver Spoons, Growing Pains, and The New Leave It to Beaver. Now, what I lack in Blade knowledge, I make up for in The New Leave It to Beaver knowledge. I was pretty fond of this series as a child. It was on some syndication for couldn't have been more than a summer or a summer and a fall. But when it was there, I was fascinated with the idea of reboots. I had obviously seen Leave it to Beaver on Nick at Night mm-hmm. and was just fascinated by the fact that they could grow up and continue the series later. A premise that is just worn to shreds at this point with every show under the sun. <laughs> the question of, oh, what would they be like now? You know, but back then it was still pretty novel. You know, you had your return to Mayberries. You had your new Leave it to Beaver. But this one, to, to take kind of a sidebar, it started in 1983 as a two-hour 
movie made for television called Still the Beaver. <laughs> that movie uh, featured Ed Begley Jr., featured a young Corey Feldman. Not, uh, I, I don't think this was his first role or anything, but mm-hmm. um, some pretty, pretty star-studded t- made-for-TV movie back then, you know? Oh, wow. This they in were, addition to some actors from the original Leave it to Beaver, right? I think so, yes. Jerry yeah. Mathers does rep- reprise his role as the Beaver, and that's consistent with the series as well. Uh, Ed Begley Jr., Corey Feldman do not hang around for the series. I think the series doesn't happen until a couple of years later, okay. mid to late 80s. So I think they rebooted the reboot kind of in that time, but it's all lumped under one new Leave it to Beaver umbrella. I didn't realize that it went 102 episodes, four seasons, because I, <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember this existing. I remember having watched reruns of Leave it to Beaver on Nick at Night. I remember uh, parents and grandparents uh, attesting to the fact that, yes, this is a good show. <laughs> and then I remember coming to them excited and saying, guess what? Leave it to Beaver <laughs> is back. And maybe was, was a little bit shocked that they weren't as excited as I was. I specifically remember an episode where there were a pair of tennis shoes that some that a child in the show really wanted, I guess the beaver's son or something. Okay. And they were called Earth Angels, and they would play that song Earth Angel every time he was lusting after these beautiful sneakers that had little wings on them. <laughs> That's pretty great. That's pretty great. I think with a show like this, the lift is really getting the elements together to make it. Once you've got that going, you can probably churn out 102 episodes just as easily <laughs> as you can do 10. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting. Uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. 
Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. All right, we have one more essential child to get to here, and that is Terry. Terry is Glenn's friend. This is Glenn's best friend, uh, uh, we, we believe here, played by Lewis Tripp, who was born 1973. Just a really pitch-perfect performance as this awkward, nerdy 80s kid who's super into heavy metal and, uh, and also is just, just ready to, to research the heck out of a demonic problem once it emerges. Yeah, he's a, he's such a great casting choice. I think he's this from the parents' view, he's this bad influence to Glenn, but mm-hmm. he doesn't really look that stereotypical bad influence part. He definitely does kind of nudge Glenn in a more destructive direction and in a kind of rule-breaky direction. Glenn probably would have gone there on his own though in a lot of these cases. Mm-hmm. Um but he has the the awkwardness of a latchkey kid who has yet to process some trauma from his past, which uh, his mother died before the events of the movie, um, which kind of plays into the plot of it. And his dad, we just, we see that he's not around. I don't think that Mm -hmm. we see him at all. So just a really specific character that he brings a lot to and delivers it really convincingly. Yeah, yeah. He's he's really... 
in a way, I feel like he's the he's right alongside Glenn. I mean, it's you can't discount Glenn uh, as being a, an essential part of the film, but but Terry's right there next to him, hundred um, percent, right yeah. from the jump too. I think he sets a lot of the actions into motion, and um, he seems to want to believe. Just in general, he seems to want to believe in something, and that desire to do that also helps push kind of the events of the of the movie forward and ultimately the the solution to the problem. Yeah. Now you said that he was in the gate two. Is he the star of the gate two? Yeah, yeah. He's the if, if memory serves correctly, and I, I did glance at some at a brief summary of the plot. I believe in the sequel, the idea is that Glenn has moved away. Okay. And Terry is left there in the neighborhood. He's a bit older. I think he's a full blown teenager by this point. So he's an awkward teen. And uh, then gets you know sucked into another demonic uh, plot. <laughs> is it uh, a so, different gate or is it the same gate? I don't know. It may, I mean, it may be the same gate, maybe different demons, because now we have wishes involved. So maybe it's right. a different demonic scheme. I'm not sure. I mean, it's all from hell, right? So maybe it's just different doors to the same house and different rooms in the same <laughs> house and different demon, demonic inhabitants in those different rooms. But it's fascinating that uh, that Terry's back at it. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah, this this actor, uh, uh, Louis Tripp, he wasn't in much. He was, again, he was in The the Gate and The Gate 2, obviously. He appeared on the 1987 Canadian psychic TV show Seeing Things, which starred <laughs> uh, Louis Del Grande. This is the, uh, if you're not familiar with him, this is the exploding head guy from Scanners. The guy's head blows up. <laughs> oh, my on. God. Amazing. Uh, mustache. Uh, but amazing. he had a full, uh, like a, a pretty, I'm not sure how long it went, but I remember it from my childhood when I lived in Canada that we had one TV channel and when seeing things came on, we would watch it. Uh, I do not remember this child showing up on the show, but I remember the show. I got to check this show out. It seems like it's right up my alley. It had a really jazzy theme song. <laughs> nice. All right. Now, there are two other kids that show up in the film. These are friends of Al's. They are the Lee sisters. And they're, they're worth noting. They, they're fun in the film. They're not central characters. But the actors who played them um, are each in their own way pretty interesting. So first, there's Lori Lee, played by Kelly Rowan, born 1965. This is a Canadian actor who was active up until, I think, 2016 uh, on, on screen and TV. She did a lot of TV work, but also had roles in 1991's Hook, 1995's Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh, 95's Assassins, also Lonesome Dove, The Outlaw Years, and The O.C., Wow. I know that she's not responsible for this, but Farewell to the Flesh is a fantastic subtitle for a movie. <laughs> she was also, Dave, in not one, but two episodes of the 90s Outer Limits, In Another Life and Virtual Future. Virtual Future apparently featured both Josh Brolin and David Warner. Wow. So there's a there's a lot of Outer Limits thread flowing through this cast. Yeah. You, well, you got Canadian actors. You get Canadian uh, actors that were active in the 90s, and there's there's like a, what, 75% chance, maybe greater, <laughs> that they were on at least one episode of The Outer Limits. That's true. It's a rite of passage. Now, the other Lee sister, Linda Lee, is played by Jennifer Irwin, uh, born 1975, terrific Canadian actor who has starred in a ton of great stuff over the years, done guest spots in plenty of other shows. Uh, and we're talking some big-name TV comedies, and she's, she's still very much active. Yeah, she is fantastic in everything. Every time she shows up, even if it's just for a scene, she feels like she's a regular. She really steals the scene every time. I know her most intimately from uh, the Goldbergs, 
where mm-hmm. she plays the across the street neighbor of uh, the Goldbergs, the titular Goldbergs. The <laughs> main character has his best friend who is the neighbor. And this is the mother of that best friend. And she and Beverly Goldberg, the mom have a, a tough start to their relationship. They're kind of antagonistic to each other, but then become best friends. And she's a recurring character, just fantastic and really nails that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. She's, if, if you're not sure out there who she is, um, look her up, you'll recognize her instantly, especially if you've watched such shows as, uh, TVs, uh, the Canadian TV show Slings and Arrows, Eastbound and Down, Halt and Catch Fire, Superstore, I, Zombie. And she's had guest roles on such shows as Better Off Ted, Party Down, Shits Creek, Hacks, and Physical. So she's popped up all over the place and uh, is really delightful in everything she's in. Definitely. But this was only her third role. <laughs> so uh, so <laughs> she's super young in this. Uh, she's if, if, if you didn't look her up, you might think, well, she, that actor looks kind of familiar, but I can't really place her. I think that was the situation I was in watching this was I kind of had to be reminded that this was her. She's so much younger than the roles that I remember her in. All right. Getting a little bit behind the scenes here. This this movie, if you watch the trailer, if you actually watch it, you'll realize this is an effects movie. I went into it not expecting it to be just wall to wall, amazing special effects, but it is. A hundred percent. It is a showcase for the effects work as much as it is anything else. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that it's the full gallery of what you can do with stop motion, what you can do with forced perspective, the the whole mm-hmm. gamut. Now, uh, there's a whole crew working on this one, obviously, but uh, the main visual effects credit here goes to Randall William Cook, born 1951, American special effects wizard and director. They really put together, he and his team really put together just so many strange and wonderful effects of varying uh, things, like really the poltergeist uh, system of you never know what's going to come at you. It might be a horrific body horror effect. It might be a zombie or uh, one of the showcases of, the, of this film, tiny demons running all over the place. Yeah. And being dismembered and turning into little wormy bits that yeah. can reconstitute. Yes. Yeah. The wormy bits are a lot of fun. So Cook, he has been involved in just a ton of great horror and sci-fi special effects film over the years. Um, I mean, some when I say great, sometimes they're a little on the cheap side, but they're they're in films where you still love the effects. Like, for instance, he worked on Laser Blast, which is a film that it's not a great film, <laughs> but it has just charming and lovable special effects. Yeah, the effects are not the reason that the film is bad by a long shot. And in a lot of ways, they're what redeemed the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to a similar extent, he was in Cue the Winged Serpent, but also he was on the, the, the crew anyway for such films as The Thing, Ghostbusters, uh, 2010, Fright Night, Poltergeist 2, Highway to Hell, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It doesn't surprise me at all that he's involved with these big titles seeing what, what was pulled off in this movie. And his credits kind of go all over the place, too. For instance, he directed one episode of TV's Life Goes On, uh, which we already <laughs> mentioned. He also did a movie, he directed a film from 96 titled Demon in, a, in the Bottle. I had to look this one up. I was not familiar with it, but, but apparently it was the product of a one-time deal between Disney and Full Moon Entertainment, the, uh, the Charles Band uh, 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 production house. <laughs> that is wild. Uh, he acted in 
the demon in the bottle movie as well. And he also has cameos in a weird 1989 film titled Dr. Caligari, which has nothing to do with the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, but is instead more of an erotic Pee Wee's Playhouse sort of art film. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Uh, but then he also has roles, uh, essentially cameos in, in King Kong and The Fellowship of the Ring. So wow. uh, you never know where this guy's going to pop up. <laughs> and finally, the music in this film, really solid atmospheric electronic score by Michael Honig and J. Peter Robinson. Totally agree. I think the ambient score here is, or the synthesized ambient score, is one of the standouts for this, for me. Yeah. It, it really nails the tone just right right from the jump and really just accentuates all of those moments just the way you think that they would and and really just elevates the entire movie yeah yeah this one uh, i don't know for me personally this would be a like a stands on its own sort of score that i would just mm-hmm. like listen to and jam out to but it's one that just works perfectly with the film you can listen to it on its own and jam out to it. It's, I think it's streaming most places. And there have even been, there's at least one special vinyl edition I saw online that has like a pink vinyl uh, record. And the sleeve is made to where it doesn't feature the movie's art. It resembles a, a very important heavy metal record that is a, a prop and a plot piece in the film. I wonder if it has all of the accoutrement of the album too, with kind of the the lore and the the deep stuff that helps mm-hmm. solve the problems. Yeah, the the, the, the evil book of demonology. That That's right. Just a part of the record release. I think you mean the dark book. The dark book, yes. <laughs> Which... the, the Bible for demons. <laughs> That's right. All right, well, well, briefly, uh, Michael Honig, uh, born 1952, German composer who briefly toured with Tangerine Dream in 1975. So I assume that he's responsible for the synthier parts of the score. Uh, he was a synth performer on 1981's Galaxy of Terror, and other scores include The Max Headroom Show, 1988's The Blob, uh, and he also worked on uh, the 1998 video game Baldur's Gate and its 2000 sequel. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah, it's, you know, I said it before, it's hard to, to overstate how effective the synth is at creating the vibe in this movie right from the beginning. The other guy involved, J. Peter Robinson, born 1945. I suspect he's maybe responsible for the the more traditional aspects of the film. Just going off on a limb here, I suspect he was responsible for the more traditional aspects of the score, uh, just looking at the other films that he uh, did, uh, he did, he has composer credits on. Uh, English composer, he worked on such films as Return of the Living Dead 2, Cocktail, Blind Fury, uh, which is a, <laughs> a weird, weird film, that one. It's one where Rudger Howard is a, a, a blind man, I believe. Whoa. Uh, Wayne's World, Encino Man, New Nightmare, Mind Ripper, uh, and many more. Wow. It, Makes me wonder, probably this is the case, uh, that he wrote the metal song that is so pivotal to the plot, as well as maybe the party music from oh, the, yeah. the teen party. I sound like such an old man calling it the teen party. <laughs> now, I was able to ID one of the teen party songs. We'll come back to that one. Nice. All right. Well, let's, let's get into the, the plot of this one. Yeah. All right. How do we kick this one off, Dave? All right. So... I don't know if I've made this clear yet, but I'm I'm a pretty big fan of the synth music. And mm-hmm. the opening credits, you get this ambient chime that just really for me it tells me you're home. You're you're in a good place. <laughs> Enjoy the next eighty some odd minutes. Uh and and it takes us right into kind of a a 
I guess it's spoiling it out of the gate to call it a dream sequence, but it starts out pretty dark, you know? Yeah. A lot of films like this, I think, would, would maybe spend more time establishing a real-world dynamic. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of films like The NeverEnding Story and so forth, where you get to see, like, what is day-to-day life like for this child or these children, and then let's throw them into the supernatural. But this film just kicks off right inside of a dream. Yeah. Uh, we see Glenn walking around, right? He's, he's checking out what we see his bedroom. Yeah, I think he, he walks into his front door. And the house is empty. It's an amazing house. It's actually a real house that they shot this in. Amazing, gorgeous decor. And then he walks into what's basically my dream bedroom from the (laughs) 80s, which, you know, there are colored desk lamps, those metallic desk lamps that have different colors to them. Uh, There are orange sheer curtains. There's this white metallic furniture, like a desk that's made out of a white metal. It's just very, it's, it's like a catalog shot. And my heart, that and the ambient chimes, my heart was soaring at this point. I don't know about you, Dave, but as a former child, I'm always instantly interested and a little bit judgy when any show, regardless of time period, presents us with a child's bedroom. Uh, Because it's always fascinating to sort of pick it apart, like which details that have uh, either sloppily or, or lovingly been added, which ones feel authentic which ones are branded, which ones are like noticeable. Some of them I occasionally see something where I'm like, okay, I specifically remember that generic poster from Getty Images. <laughs> I know that you just bought the rights to use that or it's like free to use. None of these are things that a child would actually have hanging in their room. Yeah, I think sometimes you get that, uh, like what an interior designer at Sears would do for one of those model bedrooms that they're trying to sell you the furniture pieces within. You get that vibe a lot. And yeah, books that are just encyclopedias that are neatly stacked on a on a desk, or like you said, posters that are essentially clip art mm-hmm. uh, from that time. Or sometimes you get, you know, I don't have a specific example of this offhand, but you get a, a snapshot of what the director's room would have been, but were they a child? And I think you see that maybe in Terry's room, which is almost skipping ahead a little bit, but it's almost uh, over disheveled (laughs) in terms of of messiness. But I will tell you as a father myself, uh, my child's room does get close to that state sometimes. Yeah, same as the as as the, the father of a young boy. Like you see that energy where it's like, yeah, I really like the image on this box of Pokemon cards. I'm just going to take this box, flatten it, and I'm going to tape it to the wall (laughs) because I want to look at it. Exactly. So yeah, I, I buy Glenn's room as well, though, and you get and it's a great peek into the personality of a child, and if it's executed right in the film, we see that Glenn is he's clearly into like a little bit of sports here and there, and he's a baseball, you know, very um, you know typical American kid in that. But also, it, it becomes very clear that Glenn is a total rocket nerd. He is super into NASA. He's almost always wearing a NASA jacket. <laughs> yeah, Glenn is he's a rules guy. He's an orderly guy. He frequently wants to call mom and dad throughout the movie as things mm-hmm. get worse and worse, which I think is very sweet. Yeah. Uh, and he does have this jacket that is patched with NASA patches. And I, at first, I thought that he was a specific kind of kid, like like you said, a real NASA buff. But I learned uh, throughout the movie that his sister, Al, also has the same jacket. And mm-hmm. they... They both have it because they launched the rockets together. And that was kind of their commonality that was de- had deteriorated at the start of the film. Yeah, they, they, as the film builds up over time, you realize, yeah, they have this sweet relationship. 
though they also are at each other's, th- other's throats at times. So you totally buy the sibling relationship. Yeah, definitely. And there's also this element of Al being a little bit older, starting to hang out with teens, starting to gravitate away from that family dynamic. And you see that mm-hmm. in the interactions with the whole family. But you really see how that impacts Glenn specifically and how left behind he feels, even as the the events of the the movie and the gate opening are, are unfolding, he still feels a little bit of that distance from Al. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Now, coming back to the the whole dream sequence, yeah, Glenn's wandering around this empty house. He goes into the backyard. He climbs into the treehouse that's in the backyard. He ascends into the treehouse, and then lightning strikes it, causing the treehouse to collapse. And then, of course, he wakes up. He hears chainsaws or buzzsaws running, and then when he looks out the window, oh, it looks like the tree was actually struck by lightning and was completely destroyed. <laughs> Workmen are clearing everything away. And I thought this was neat, too, in two different ways. Because on one hand, this felt very like on par with the childhood experience, where important things like the destruction of a treehouse occur when you're asleep. And then when you wake up or look out the back, then adults have already tended to it. Uh, adults are already on the scene dealing with it, and you're just like, oh, I wonder what that, that was about. But then also, like symbolically, yeah, the, there's this uh, you know, innocence of childhood-threatened imagery uh, that's clear in all of this. The treehouse is the iconic fortress of childhood freedom, and whoop, it was just destroyed by, I guess, like a literal act of God here. Yeah, and the the terror of being in a treehouse in a tree that is falling over. It's not it's worse than being in a tree that's falling over. You're in a structure inside of it. And yeah. I can't imagine feeling more helpless than that. I do think from a narrative perspective, I was scratching my head pretty early on about did this happen while he was asleep? Had this was it just a coincidence that it happened while he was dreaming about it? Did he cause this to happen by dreaming about it? The parallel between what was happening in the dream and what was happening in life while he was asleep kind of confused me a little bit. And there's a little bit of both sides the line that this movie does in that regard throughout. And on the one hand, I think it is a little bit puzzling as a choice, but on the other hand, I kind of like the ambiguity of it because it's a question that doesn't need to be answered. And a lot of what is going on with these children and what these children are facing, it shouldn't have an explanation. Children should not know exactly what the situation yeah. is. No human would, you know? And I think it's it's kind of a brave choice in that light to to play into that a little bit. Uh, one one quick note I want to point out. This wasn't party music, but there is a music video playing in the dream, and we see a clip of the music video for No Pressure by Canadian New Wave uh, performer Eva Everything. This is a 1984 single. She had a 1984 album titled Boob Tube, and she went on to be a science communicator and producer. I'm not I'm not super familiar with with this because I wasn't. Uh, I, I don't think I was watching any of these these particular shows, but it looked like she was involved in something that was kind of like Channel One that we had in the, uh-huh. the, the States, something like that. 
Yeah, I'm not familiar with her, but I'm looking at this album cover now, and it's got a very aha vibe uh, yeah. with a little splash of color across the eyes and an otherwise black and white picture. It's very, very cool, and and I was digging the video. All right, so back in we're in the waking world now, and we stay in the waking world for the rest of the film. And uh, it's not long before we finally actually meet Glenn's friend, Terry. Let's describe Terry. Oh, man, Terry rules. First, first and foremost, <laughs> Terry rules. Terry's got you know, these dark rimmed glasses. He's got short hair. He's this lanky kid, uh, masters of the universe, t-shirt <laughs> leather jacket. I keep yeah. wanting to, uh, is it a leather jacket or is it a leather vest? I keep thinking of it as a vest. I think there's a costume change. I think when we first uh, see him, it's a leather jacket with a patch on the back for the uh, English heavy metal band Venom. <laughs> and later he's wearing like a jean jacket uh, vest thing. And that has, I think, a patch for the Canadian metal band Killer Dwarfs. Wow. So somebody knew their stuff when they were putting this outfit together. <laughs> yeah. So right off the bat, we realize, yeah, Terry's interested very much so in heavy metal. Uh, and then we learn later a little bit into demonology <laughs> via the heavy metal. Yeah, I think, you know, without getting too ahead of ourselves, I really do like how this movie flips the satanic panic angle Mm -hmm. of the time and turns the satanic panic into what saves these kids and presumably the world is using these demonic lyrics to undo a curse. Yeah, yeah, because in many of these, uh, the the metal exploitation films of the era, it's like, oh, the dangerous metal band is bringing demonology to the children. And it gets them in all sorts of trouble. But in but in this film, as we find out, no, the the the, the metal rockers are actually wise wizards who have given us the tools <laughs> for our own liberation and give and have, are actually teaching us how to defeat the demons. Well, and they and they they do it pretty deliberately too, by a minutes long narration at the end of a song that is just yeah. an incantation, basically. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but before the demons show up, we we get we we have to deal with geodes because basically the way the whole ball gets running here is as the workmen are hauling the tree pieces away, Glenn spots a geode in the roots. You know, like you'll often see, well, maybe not often see a geode, but sometimes you'll see the roots of a of an uprooted tree gripping a stone. Uh, it's, it's always kind of weird and, and neat, and in this case, it's a geode. So he and Terry realize, well, there are probably more geodes in that now filled in hole. Let's go dig around in there and get some more. And they find one the size of a beach ball. <laughs> and there's this great exchange where they like, they find this geode and they're both like, we're rich. This is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what their sense of the market value of geodes is or if they're near a Renaissance fair or a flea market or something like that that might give mm. them an inflated sense of what they could do with a geode. But I, I, I did have to pause it at this point because you know what's coming. They're standing at a hole. They're pulling out these rare crystals. They're excited about it. So I paused it and looked at the timestamp. This is six minutes into the movie, and we're already at the demonic hole in the ground. We've already seen a scary nightmare. We've already seen Glenn in peril falling over in the tree. I mean, this this movie wastes no time. It's great. Yeah, you get right to the gate. It's called the gate. It's not the road or the path to the gate. Uh, like here we are, literally at, at the action point. That's right. So is this the point that Al comes out and she's bringing a bunch of trash out to the trash can, or is this is that later in the movie? It's basically that she's bringing the rockets out that defined kind of her childhood relationship with Glenn and is mm. tossing them in the trash. Glenn's upset about that. 
because she was going to save them for him. And her comment is, well, they've been sitting there for months and you haven't touched them. So I'm getting rid of them. He kind of digs through them and and I think does take one out, but that's kind of your first realization. You saw the, the jacket with the patches. Now you're seeing that he has a love of rockets that he shared with Al and that that love is no longer shared. I have to admit that I, I didn't pay enough attention to this the first time I watched it because I, I think part of it is with movies like this, usually there, it doesn't matter. Usually, yeah, yeah. There, this is not real character development. It's not really important. It's just about moving character from point A to point B. But no, this is actually all building to something. Yeah, it's it's a really loving effort to tie these characters family stories together in a way that did, you know, I had an older sister. She's four years older than me. I definitely went through these emotions as Mm -hmm. she was growing into being a teenager, spending less time with the family, spending more time with her friends and, and feeling those feelings that Glenn was feeling. We didn't shoot rockets together, but uh, I can imagine, you know, what that shared interest is that kind of morphs into just your interest. And it has a different taste and a different feel. So I think Terry talks Glenn into lighting off one of the rockets. Glenn, I believe, says, I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, but Terry encourages him to do that. He does it, and it zings off into the house and leaves kind of a, a burn stain in the side of the house. And I, I believe that gets Glenn into trouble with mom and dad, who mm-hmm. show up to parent for, for a good 60 to 70 seconds. And they're quick to throw Glenn under the bus as being the bad influence, right? Uh, well, I think that the the dad explains to Terry. I'm sorry, this happens at a different point. Uh, but Glenn is talking to his dad. He's t- he tells him a story that Terry told him about a workman that was trapped in the walls of the house when they were building the house, mm-hmm. and that the dad sits kneels down to Glenn and and says, "Yeah, Terry has some problems." Just a very dismissive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the dad had to have known what that kid's history was, you know, and and to be that insensitive is really a insensitive, but b really on point with a lot of the parenting from that era too. So it's not so so disparate. Uh but whatever it is, it's insensitive to Terry and it's not very thoughtful of Glenn's state of mind either, especially regarding his friend. And I think it's at this point that we learned that, hey, mom and dad really want to go out of town. I don't remember <laughs> what they're going out of town for, but they want to do it. But they're having second thoughts about it because Glenn is being bad. Um, but Al, the sister, is quick to jump in and saying, hey, look, I got this. I, I, can, I, can, I can take care of Glenn. I can take care of myself. I can take care of the house. You guys go. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, I think that there's a a babysitter that they reference that maybe they should call and mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to remember her name. It becomes a pretty oh Miss Vandegriff is her oh. name. And it becomes a pretty clever through line throughout when uh much later when things are all just going to shambles. <laughs> I believe he says uh I wish Miss Mrs. Vandegriff was here. And just a fantastic callback to to this moment, this decision. Yeah, I wish that the uh, the, the the parent approved authority <laughs> figure were here because we cannot handle it, sister. Right, we cannot right. handle it. But the whole time she's like, "No, like, like he, we." There are multiple times later in the film where things are getting progressively worse. He's like, "We should call mom and dad." And Al's very clear and like, "No, we do not have to bring mom and dad into this." Yeah, she's at this point, she has already kind of ditched the family to go off and hang out with her teen friends to go shopping. Uh, 
you can tell that she's got teen ideas in mind with what to do with an empty house. And that is borne out almost instantly once the parents go out of town and she throws a party. I thought that this party could have been just a a full blowout 1980s high school party scene. But I was struck by the balance of beer and cigarettes, which is happening, but also Mm -hmm. there's a lot of soda and bowls of chips set out and something very childish about that too. And it really showed how at that age, and and I think Al at this point has shown a little bit of remorse for leaving Glenn high and dry and kind of comes back to include him a little bit. Uh, It shows how she's not really completely there like the other teens are yet. There's still a little bit of kid left in her and and still a little bit of that bridge. Still, the party has a lot of great 80s hair. You're hit with some 80s fashion. Uh, The dog, uh, Angus, the the sweet old dog (laughs) that the family has, is going around helping himself to some of the human food, the human snacks that are left laying about. And the boy is not at the party. Terry wants to be in the party. uh, But... Glenn's got them up in the room. He knows that Al doesn't want him down at the party. Terry's trying to talk him into it. They're working on this geode. Terry can't (laughs) crack it for some reason. And then Glenn takes a a shot at it and succeeds almost instantly. Yeah. Cracks open and lets out kind of a sigh of gas, right? Yeah. It's like purple smoke, purple lights. When they start looking at it, it's sparkly like, like geodes typically are, but it's, it's, it's purple light sparkly. Like it's emitting its own light. And then also it seems to have left some sort of satanic message on their magic slate that they have there. <laughs> the one where you pull up the, uh, the, uh, I don't even know if they still have these around, but they were, they were definitely a big part of my childhood. Yeah. It's like that flimsy layer of plastic that you can write a message into and it'll kind of magnetize. That's the wrong word, but no, stick with something yeah. darker underneath it. Yeah, it barely works. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was we I remember loving these and you could they were sometimes branded with different TV shows and whatnot, but yeah, they barely worked. Anything you'd write in it or draw on it would kind of like unstick and become unclear. So really the demons here trying to reach out and, and converse <laughs> with humans through this medium, it was a poor choice. Yeah, it barely works here. You can barely yeah. <laughs> make out that there is an incantation. I kept thinking that one of the kids had written something and just done a bad job at it, but it is the, <laughs> the demon speech. They pick the objectively the worst tool to communicate with. Meanwhile, downstairs, uh, the party has uh, <laughs> has gone on to the next level, which is, is storytelling. Yeah, they, they're... It, the camera pans across and there's a group of about 20 teenagers sitting around listening to one teenager tell a scary story, which is like a campfire style scary story, mm-hmm. not even a, a specifically or related to them or related to their lives. Just a very kind of hokey, scary story. Candlelight all over the room. Uh, these these party animals who were throwing down so hard just moments ago. I can't imagine what the transition would have been to candlelight scary story time but that's where they are yeah because uh, there doesn't seem to be a clear leader of the party and we don't see al commanding them all right story time uh but the next time we check in with them uh they've moved on to attempting levitation <laughs> <laughs> and it, it gets uh, pretty plot oriented here because one of the the jockier teens uh, they can't get him to levitate and he's like well let's get he sees glenn and terry coming by it's like well let's make him do it let's get the little guy and uh, he agrees, and, but it gets scary pretty quickly. Like, this is where we get into that weird area, of, uh, and we, we have to ask the question, is Glenn magic? Because Glenn actually does levitate, and he ends up hanging onto a light. The light breaks, and it's scary, and Glenn runs off crying. 
Yeah, he goes like full Wonka with the fizzy lifting drinks and like yeah. can't stop and keeps kind of going up and going up and then does break the glass, which I guess breaks the spell somehow, falls down, gets really embarrassed and cries, which again, like the way he plays these these childlike moments, the way he plays his excitement at being asked to come and participate in the levitation, they're so authentic. And he does such a yeah. great job at delivering those. Yeah, I think this was the point in the film where I really started realizing that when you have the moment of of him crying, uh, you know, like a child, but also kind of unlike action-oriented child characters in movies typically of this caliber. Uh, they seem to really take the uh, t- t- take him seriously. Yeah, this, uh, yeah. Film together. Uh, so so he's up in his room crying. Al and Terry come up to sort of talk him down. Uh, Glenn says, "I want to call mom and dad." And Al insists that it's not necessary. But me, I'm watching this, and as a parent, I'm thinking, no, you shouldn't call right. mom and dad. Like, lights have been broken at this point. Uh, mom and dad should be called, but Al overrules it. And, and I think Glenn speaks to this, but the focus is so not on the fact that this child has levitated off of the ground <laughs> up to the ceiling. Like, nobody else acknowledges or seems to care about that. And to me, that is like, don't just call your parents like, everybody's got to go. We got to get everybody out of this house. We've got to get over to Mrs. Vandegrift's house. Yeah. Get away from that situation. And it, it, you know, it speaks to this recurring sentiment that I, that I had throughout the movie of what are these demons trying to do? (laughs) Are these just the effects of opening the gate and they're just being a little bit more of a ethereal state to the world around the house or, are they trying to be scared? Are they trying to be manipulated? Is something intentional happening to them? Yeah, yeah. And we, we never get a real... I mean, it's kind of nice that they keep it ambiguous. Nobody ever... Like, it would have been a different type of film if... Uh, what's her name? Mrs. Vanderbeek? Mrs. Vandergriff. Mr. Vandergriff were to show up at one point, and it turns out, oh, she's actually like a Mary Poppins demon fighter. And she's like, look, the demons are trying to inspire your fear, which they feed off of, and then they use the energy of the fear to open the gate. And then she's like, you know, killed by a demon uh, before exactly. she can help. <laughs> but we don't get that. And, and I kind of like that we don't. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it leaves it a lot more ambiguous, but also just leaves space for fun. And yeah. that's what this movie delivers. And when you think fun, you think sleepovers. <laughs> and we get the first of many sleepovers at this point. Yeah. Terry wakes up. Uh, I believe Terry is the, the first to wake up, correct? Yeah, yeah Terry's sleeping over. Like It's kind of like Al's solution. It's like, we're not going to call mom and dad, but you know... Terry can sleep over. There's a very cool effect happening at the transition to the scene where it is the moths that are surrounding the bug zapper outside of the window are being projected onto the wall of the bedroom. And Mm -hmm. it's a stop motion effect that's really, really effective. It makes the moths look enormous. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it really chef's kiss to that one. Yeah, yeah. Something unsettling is happening and you see it reflected in, in, in nature. Uh, before things start getting really weird. And then they get, they get really weird pretty quickly. Yeah. Terry has dreams of his mother. I think he, he wakes up and, and hears her calling him, I, I think. Yeah. Goes downstairs. The front door opens and she, yeah, she walks in and it's like an angelic scene where she's, there's like smoke and white light and she holds up her arms and she's like, like, Terry, I'm back. And he uh, engages in a, awkwardly long embrace with his mother where they, they spin around. And then I believe that the, that Glenn and Al wake up and do they hear something? Do they, for some reason they, they get up and they come out to investigate. 
there's like a sound and then there's like stuff moving around in the walls, you know, kind of like Freddy Krueger style, uh, where it's like poking up the walls and, and, uh, like the walls are made out of rubber. And so everything's getting freaky. And so Glenn and Al come out or Glenn comes out, Al hears this or Al comes out or he wakes Al up and then there's Glenn down there. Um, and well, and then, then it gets even weirder. Yeah. They, they call his name and he kind of snaps out of his dream or sleep and realizes that he's holding Angus the dog in his arms. And this is the the point where I'll, I'll confess to being a little bit confused. He throws the dog down because mm-hmm. he's surprised that it's not his mother. Justifiable. Yeah. The dog is dead. <laughs> and I cannot figure out, was Angus dead while Terry was holding him? Did Terry throwing Angus down kill him? I'm not even going to get into at what point was Angus in the situation? Because I don't think Angus opened the door and walked in on two hind legs. You know, I imagine that, that Terry picked Angus up at some point to, at the point he needed to hug something would be my take on it. But, but what are your thoughts? Did, did Terry accidentally kill the dog or was the dog dead slash did the demon kill the dog? I am absolutely not going to lump this one on Terry. I think it had to be the (laughs) demon. Um, no, nobody blames Terry for this in the film. Later on when they're talking about it, Glenn's like, oh, Angus was super old. He, <laughs> they don't live much longer than this anyway. So, but other than that, they don't really engage with the whole scenario too much. But uh, either way, the, the, dog is, the dog is dead. And I will say that I know a lot of people do not want to watch a film in which a dog dies. I, at least in this film, when the dog dies... Like like everything else we've been discussing, they take it seriously. Like it's it's people are affected by it. It's actually part of the plot, and it's not just like let's shock that audience by having a monster eat a dog. That's right. They don't spend a lot of time showing it either. I think they there is a weird bit where Al's boyfriend or suitor mm-hmm. offers to take the dog to be cremated or buried, yeah. but cannot do it. And he's kind of carrying the dog around in a blanket this entire time, puts it in the front seat of the car, tries to drive it uh, to the animal shelter or the animal hospital. And then it's closed and has to drive back. We're not there yet, but I agree. They do do it very sensitively and delicately. And most of all, they spend a lot of time on how Glenn feels about it and yeah. how upset he is by this. And again, he's like, look how the dog has died. We should call mom and dad. And she's like, nope, no need to call mom and dad. And again, I'm thinking, especially as a parent, it's like, no, you call mom and dad. Like the light is broken. The dog is dead. Call mom and dad and at least let them know. Yeah. Uh, because I think for a while there, I'm not even clear that there was, I was like, what would they do with the dog? Is he in the freezer? Uh, it only becomes clear later that uh, that one of the, the teen friends has been tasked with taking the dog unceremoniously to the like the the animal shelter or the or whatever to have it disposed of, and to be quick about it because they're going to the beach and they want him to join them at the beach sooner than later. Yeah, so it, it's a weird, friendly gesture. It's weird that Al isn't going with him on this trip, uh, and it's weird that they want him to be quick about it. It is a little bit strange how removed Al is from the situation. She doesn't seem nearly as upset about this as Glenn does. Uh, And maybe it's because she doesn't want to think about these things that are happening. Kind of a Stephen King it level of a grownups not thinking about this the same way that a kid is. But again, she's on that bridge between childhood and being a grownup. So she's on and off with her sensitivity to it. Yeah. And, and yeah, sometimes something 
strange or traumatic happens, you got to get your mind off of it, which is what this is what Glenn does because we <laughs> Glenn goes home. We get to see Glenn's home at this point. We see that it is a wreck. The living room is just like uh, the kitchen just has stuff everywhere. There's cold pizza out, and he just grabs a slice and eats it presumably for dinner. And we get the idea that like this is kind of par for the course these days. Uh, home home is not made, not all that great for Glenn at the moment. But then he goes to his room, and it is a glorious sight. We described <laughs> it a little bit already, but it's trans, Transformers Optimus Prime kite hanging from the ceiling, heavy metal posters on the walls, many of which appear to be real. I do get kind of a <laughs> clip art vibe from some things that are on the wall, but for the most part, it's believable. And he even has a handmade banner back there that just says metal. <laughs> I think the thing that really says the most about his character to me is the posters on top of posters, yep, which is yep. a very genuine kid thing of, hey, I like these and, and I'm going to put another one up and it's going to cover a quarter of it, <laughs> but that's okay. It's going to be at an angle, but this is the band that I really like at this moment. I don't not mm-hmm. like the band that it's covering. So it just kind of becomes this ever-growing patchwork of stuff. But yeah, yeah, just a filthy room. He's jumping up and down on the bed, rocking out, listening to some metal. Do we know the name of this band? Um, I think this is supposed to be the fictitious band Sacrifice or Sacrifix. It's S-A-C-R-I-F-Y-X. The album is The Dark Book because uh, right. we, we, we see him handling it. But yeah, wait, at first he just he throws a blanket over like a rainbow blanket over his shoulders and he's rocking out and he's... <laughs> He's lip syncing to all the cool metal uh, voiceover stuff in it, but then it begins to dawn on him. It's like there's something in these lyrics. It's matching up with what is going on in the neighborhood here. This what this going on over at Glenn's house. He busts out that uh, that sacrifice <laughs> album, and the record booklet for the dark book <laughs> is the dark book. It's like basically a tome of demonology that's just ready to go in the the vinyl record. Just imagine putting yourselves. In the in the in the shoes of whatever necromancer or or wizard this was who wrote this demonic tome of how to presumably both release and seal these demonic entities, and you call it the dark book, like it's the dark book. It's going to be the only dark book that ever exists. <laughs> well, maybe it's translated from the Latin. It sounds cooler than Latin, you know, or Aramaic, or right? Something. Maybe it's a dark book in Latin, and they acknowledge mm. that there would be more and that this was just one of them. Yeah. It's also not very long. If you can fit it inside <laughs> of a, a vinyl record, uh, maybe there's just... Uh, ultimately, the, the demon summoning ritual is a lot more simplistic in this, uh, in this film because it can be actual, accidentally done. <laughs> <laughs> the demonic realm is kind of a unitask yeah. thing. There's just one demonic realm, one demon, and like a can opener, there's one tool to summon and seal it. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. 
brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So at this point in the film, there are like a few different things going on at once. Um, we uh, we have the, the teen dude that's taking uh, the dead dog's body around, trying to drop it off at animal control. Like we said, he comes back to the house with it because they won't take it. 
Nobody seems to be home, but then he sees he sees that hole in the backyard. And we don't see him do it, but then we later see that the the hole has been filled in. Um, so uh, presumably he dumps the dog in there, but he does a nice job laying the sod back in place using the sod squares. So it's not as, as lazy an act as you might think. I, I do want to, you know, I have in my notes here at this point in the film, and I'm not sure if it's in this scene or a scene that, that we just went past, but... You know, a lot of the kids' insults to each other are pretty unacceptable, pretty unforgivable oh, yeah, yeah. then and now. But one that that shines through is, quote, buzz off clown face, which is delivered <laughs> directly. <laughs> I think Glenn says it to one of the sisters. And mm-hmm. it's said so sincerely and so earnestly. And it's such a, a quaint, charming, but but no less sharp and cutting insult uh, that I, I had to make a note of it. Yeah, the the kids are and the teens are, are downright mean with their insults at times. But yeah, certainly some of these insults that are thrown by the kids uh, uh, have not stood the test of time. That's right. That's right. Um, so Glenn's at home alone. He looks out and and he sees that the hole is back, mm-hmm. and then they they pull some wood over it. Yeah, yeah. That's their solution. The old uh, treehouse. They're like, well, that's... it's covered up. Yeah, I I don't understand. I guess that's to keep things from falling into it. Uh, this is happening while Eric is bringing the dog back, right? Mm. Oh, yeah, um, I think so. Mm-hmm. So we're getting kind of a split back and forth take between the two of them. Uh, this is where Terry is talking to Glenn about the dark book and kind of onboarding him to the concepts. And mm-hmm. this is where, again, chef's kiss. He puts the record on and plays it backwards. Yeah. And when you play the record backwards, it tells you how to seal, uh, presumably the hole, how to seal the gate. Yeah. Yeah, there's this wonderful scene in, in Glenn's... Uh, this is in the basement. Uh, 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 this is Terry's basement, right? Or is this Glenn's basement? I think it's Glenn's basement. Okay. Yeah, there's like a, a drum kit down there, but more metal posters. Like all the metal posters that didn't fit in his room are down here. <laughs> and he's walking him through everything. He's giving him the full pitch on this band about how they were really deep into demonology. And they had this thing called the Dark Book quote, that's like the Bible for demons, and that this is where they got all their lyrics from. But yeah, there's this, uh, they really stress that the, this particular metal band, Sacrifice or Sacrifix, um, yeah, essentially they're wise wizards who are giving us information on how to not only summon the old gods, uh, but also how to defeat them. That's right. That's right. Um, it's just that simple. And it's as simple as writing a song with forward sounding lyrics that make sense, but also work as backward sounding lyrics that actually impart information. Yeah. Difficult, <laughs> difficult to follow information. So at this point, with their newfound exorcism skills from having listening to the, listened to this album once and read the liner notes, uh, Glenn and Terry, they go back to the pit. They're like, let's go ahead, let's seal this puppy up. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, and so they start reading some stuff, reciting some stuff. Al walks up. She's suspicious of this whole affair. Uh, but then we we transition into this kind of sweet moment where we 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 were we had the understanding that Al was going to go to the beach with their friends. But instead, she reveals that no, she's she's not going to go to the beach. And she has a gift that she gives Glenn this thoughtful gift that of course turns out to be more rocket stuff. And so we, this, you know, brings back, uh, this bond between them. Uh, this is some nice, uh, some sweet stuff going on in this scene. Yeah, definitely. And they, they launch the rocket right after that. And it again is a testament to all the craziness that's going on, all the weird stuff that's going on, this hole that keeps appearing in the backyard 
this levitation, this dead dog. And they're able to just kind of shrug it all off and have a really kid moment where they're launching the rocket together. Mm-hmm. At this scene, uh, Al does have the rocket patch jacket on as well. So they're both kind of in uniform, just like the picture that Glenn looks at on the wall earlier in the movie. And it's a very sweet moment. Now, pretty much from this, we transition to Al, Terry, and Glenn playing cards later that night. But then the Lee sisters come over. Uh, so even though the, the beach party was canceled, the Lee sisters decide to come over and hang out. Uh, it looks like there's going to be there are going to be yet yet again more sleepovers. <laughs> this time, dueling sleepovers. The Lee sisters doing a sleepover with Al, and then Terry and Glenn doing a sleepover, of course. Yeah, there, there's a scene where Glenn and Terry are, are messing around in the parents' closet, and just just a rifle, shotgun yeah. in the closet uh, yep. that Glenn's picking up and, and winging around, and again, very of the time, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but so so bizarre. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, there's a lot a lot to be dissected about that scene for sure. Uh, certainly, kind of horrifying to modern viewers. It's like, oh my god, they've gone straight to the gun, uh, Dad's gun in the closet. Uh, this will, of course, uh, be a plot element later on. Uh, but we have, but we've established it for now. One thing that we kind of glossed over when Glenn, when Terry was onboarding Glenn into the dark book and the contents of the dark book is that we do see what I keep referring to in my notes as the minions, uh, mm-hmm. not those minions guys, but actually <laughs> little humanoid creatures that are probably what ankle now shin, shin yeah. high to knee high, probably about that. Uh, that's the first that we see them kind of recorded in some official record. Yeah, yeah. These little, um, I often refer to creatures like this as gromlins because they're sort of uh, yeah, generic gremlins. But but these guys these guys are tremendous. They're one of the my favorite effects from the screen. We see more and more of them as the film proceeds. They're little uh, homunculi dudes uh, with with like glassy eyes and little uh, little vampire mouths and <laughs> pointed ears. They're hairless. And the effects here, you might expect creatures like this to be created via stop motion, but instead it's uh, forced perspective stuff for the most part. I think there's a puppet here and there, but for the most part we're looking at uh, multiple costumes worn by presumably full-size uh, adult humans that are then made to look like tiny, scampering, squealing creatures. Yeah, you know, I think there's a, a combination of the stop motion. There's a combination of, well, no, it's the same combination. Stop motion, and then there's a little bit of forced perspective with humans in costumes, and then there's a little bit of that projection that you see a lot of in Ghostbusters or other mm. other, other worldly effects. And I think the projection really stood out to me because once you see something like that, it's hard to unsee it. But the stop motion and the the rubber suits forced perspective, I found myself trying to to figure out which was which in a lot of cases. And that's that's good effects in, if you yeah. ask me. I think if you're if you're even hesitating to to be able to tell the difference between the two, they've done their job really, really well. And sometimes there'll be back to back shots of uh stop motion gromlin i like that better than minion uh taken right next to a human in the costume looking through large stair (laughs) banisters you know yeah yeah it's pretty seamless i like it so a lot of a lot of weird stuff is happening like this is the night of where everything goes haywire uh so a lot of different things start start occurring a lot of weird stuff so something's creeping around the house. A window in Glenn's room explodes, uh, like something, like some force is busted in. So he wakes up Al. I, 
I think the Lee sisters get up now, or maybe they stay asleep for a little while. But they go and wake up Terry, and we get this switch, this uh, this uh, this scene where they're trying to wake up Terry, and then Terry walks up behind them, and he's like, "Hey guys, what's up?" <laughs> and we get that nightmare re- reveal that oh, it's the dead dog Angus in the bed. In, in Terry's place, but Terry's there in the room with them. All three are screaming, and then nightmare monster hands reach out from under the bed and start grabbing their ankles, and they're trying to pull Al under. And it's a really scary scene out of nowhere. Yeah, it's it's a perfect one-two punch. Of you think this is the impactful moment when they realize that it's the dog and that somehow the dog is back. Even backing up a little bit more, it's a really impactful moment when the moths are attacking the window and the window shatters. That's right, the moths did it, yeah. Yeah, and then you come up and see Terry, but it's not really Terry, it's Angus. There's a shock moment at that, and then at that moment, the hands reach out and grab her, and it really is a one-two-three punch that it's thrilling. And so the Lee sisters are up at this point. It's and they realize what needs they need to do need to get out of this house. Yeah. Uh, so they run for the front door. Uh, they they're actually going out the front door, and then seemingly mom and dad show up. But it's not mom and dad. These are clearly uh, demonic doubles of mom and dad. Uh, and when uh, who is it? Is it Glenn or is it? Al that runs up to to dad here. So Glenn runs up to him. And the reason that I remember this is this kind of kicked off a little bit of the wish fulfillment thing that you're referencing in in the gate too. Uh, Terry got it a little bit earlier with his mom during in the dream. And Glenn's getting it a little bit now because he's been wanting to call mom and dad this entire movie. And now he comes out on the door and sees them. He's so excited that he runs up to them. And pretty quickly, I mean, they can't keep this charade up for very long. Uh, the dad's voice transform. He kind of uh, does a you've been bad yeah. and grabs Glenn and, and tries to squeeze him, choke him. I think it's something choking. like that. Yeah. yeah, Glenn like reaches up, touches his face, Ugh. and like Dad's face immediately collapses into a stream <laughs> of pus. It's it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it kind of folds inward on itself. Pus comes out of it. He drops Glenn. Glenn backs away from it, and then his head falls off. The Dad's head falls oh, yes. off and shatters on the sidewalk, which is just an amazing, amazing effect. Yeah, they went nuts with these effects above and beyond. Yeah. But uh, the, the kids at this point realize, oh, well, we better turn around. So they run back into the house. But the house <laughs> is also where the monsters are. So they go for the back door. And when they're heading out the back door, that's when uh, the gromlins, the little homunculi attack. And we get the, the first of many tremendously fun scenes with these little guys scampering around. Yeah, I love it. That's we get to see him in the flesh. Literally, the combo of stop motion and rear projection is really strong in this sequence. Uh, one of their arms gets cut off in a door when the door is shutting. The shot is in the trailer. You see the arm kind of f- descend down the crack, fall onto the floor, and then turn into kind of these little stop motion worms that mm-hmm. kind of skitter off um, off of ca- off camera. They seem like. I want to say there was a Sesame Street sequence that had these little yeah. uh, claymation worms on them. Uh, same, similar type of effect, but all white, all the same color uh, as the Gromlin, and presumably going to reform the Gromlin somewhere else. Uh, let's see, other, other strange things happen. They, they, the phone rings, they pick it up, but it's a demon prank call. <laughs> uh, again, we get that dad voice going, you've been bad, and then the phone melts. Uh, and I love the you've been bad part because it's such a great <laughs> demonic exaggeration of a very simplified childhood fear of of both doing something bad, having done something bad, but then being caught. 
and, yeah. and, uh, and having your parents um, disappointed or mad at you over it. It's also a line that Sloth uses against Ma Fratelli in Goonies, oh. which happened a couple. It came out a couple of years before this, and I kept yeah. wondering if that was a reference to it. I think it's a stretch for it to actually be, but that phrase "you've been bad" is a very short, strong, and powerful one that works really well in both movies. Well, at this point in the film, the the kids realize, okay, well, we we tried running out the front door, didn't work. Tried going out the back door, didn't work. We've got to close the gate. <laughs> So really, without much more uh, tarrying about, the kids head out back to deal with the gate. The Lee sisters are initially with them, and then they bail. They realize, well, this sounds a bit too dangerous, and we're side characters, so we're going to go back in. Um, so they get to the, the gate. The gate opens. It's spewing purple smoke and light. Uh, Terry tries reading the Bible at it a little bit. They got a Bible out of one of the drawers in the house. <laughs> and it seems to be working, but then the whole swallows Terry up. And we get another uh, homunculi attack sequence where Terry is attacked by tiny demons in the hole. They're climbing on him. They're biting him. They're swarming over him and pulling on, it, pulling on his legs as he's trying to climb back out. That's right. I do want to point out a, a small movie flub here in this scene is that Terry's reading the Bible. He, he doesn't know what to read. He's saying, you know, he's asking for suggestions. And they're saying, just read anything. And so he reads from Genesis, which, you know, in the beginning, God created the, the heaven and the earth, which, okay, yeah, you're going to pull a random line, like, go for it. But the book he's holding, he's halfway through. And we all know that Genesis <laughs> is the first book in the Bible and that this is on the first page of the first book in the Bible. So I'm going to ding these guys a little bit. It's not going to hurt their overall score, but just know that that somebody's watching this sort of thing. <laughs> uh, and let's say it's the, one of those reverse books where um, Old Testament comes after New Testament. I don't know. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's a revised standard. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, the minions start to swarm Terry while he's in the hole. And this is a, a, a pretty intense moment, um, mm -hmm. particularly for Terry. I might be naive, but I had in my mind, maybe we're misunderstanding these gromlins. Uh, I know I'm going back and forth between minions and gromlins. I just can't get uh, the minions <laughs> label out of my head. But I thought maybe we were misunderstanding these guys. Maybe there's a chance that they're helpful or something like that, which is like a wrinkle that they would bring into a horror movie nowadays. You know, mm -hmm. like, no, the humans were the monsters. But no, they proved themselves out to be monsters for the first time in this scene where they are actively biting Terry. They are yeah. chewing into his flesh. They're chewing into his neck. He's like fending them off, getting away from them. But their numbers are increasing. Yeah. Luckily, Al and Glenn are able to, to get a rope and throw it down the hole. Terry's able to fight him off a good bit. He stomps one of the, uh, the, the creatures pretty good. Uh, they get him back up out of the pit. They read a little more Bible at the pit, and then they just go ahead and pitch the whole book in, and it explodes like a hand grenade. Catches it seems fire! for the moment like they won. And yeah, it closes back up. Magically. Mm -hmm. And they're sawed there too, I think. Uh, yep. Don't quote me on that. But they jump up and down in celebration on top of the hole <laughs> to hell that has just closed up. And I get that they're kids and that they're not thinking this all the way through, but they've been pretty competent so far. It's like maybe give it a little bit of clearance and give it some time to, to cool and settle in. That's the advice I give my son. I'm like, look, <laughs> if you ever open up a pit to hell and you successfully close it up with an explosive Bible, don't just start stomping on it, because you can't be 100% sure that it's closed. Right, give it 30 to 45 minutes. Go have a yeah. snack and see if you still want to jump on the hole in celebration, yeah. and then go for it. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So they go back inside eventually. They find the Lee sisters hiding in the closet, which I was relieved by. You know, not that we're super attached to them, but it's nice that they were not murdered by tiny creatures off screen. Um, Comically then, huge lays of garlic around their oh, necks. Yeah. And they're holding yeah. kitchen tools in kind of a cross in front of them. Very funny scene. Very funny. But also it made me think, like, how much garlic does this family keep? I feel like <laughs> I've got, we've got maybe two pieces of garlic in the house at a time. This is like, like, like three dozen garlic yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, heads in here. Easily 30 to 40 heads of garlic. Yeah. So they, they get them out. And then, well, more teen boys appear. They have shown up with beer, ready to party. Al <laughs> wisely just sends everybody home. She's like, yeah. I've had enough surprises for one night. Everybody has to go home. No parties are taking place. And they begrudgingly agree. Yeah. And really, you know, docks some cool points from her, which mm-hmm. the teens make clear and she does not care about, which good on Al, you know, she's finally yeah. kind of realizing what's important. And, you know, I might suggest she's growing more than they are. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it took an actual portal to hell opening up in the backyard, but, but right. still growth appreciated. Yeah. And seeing your father's face caved in yeah. and <laughs> rolling off of his body. But of course, it's not over yet. You, things are not going to end that simply. Uh, later on, Glenn and Terry, they're hanging out, I think, in the den. Uh, the, they're kind of horsing around with the geode. It bangs into the wall. Suddenly, the wall erupts, and this dead workman is hanging half out of the wall. This is the workman from Terry's story about uh, some workman being sealed up dead in the walls of the house. That's right. And this is where Terry reveals that he made that story up, which again, mm-hmm. another wish fulfillment kind of manifesting. This is less of a wish, but more of an idea that was in his head made real. Uh, and Terry gets taken. Yeah. The, the creature comes alive. It's a zombie, grabs Terry, pulls him into the wall, and then the wall seals up. So uh, at this point, it's just Alan Glenn. They get attacked by the, by the, the, the workman, they call him, the, the zombie creature again. Um, there's a great scene where they're cornered by the, the, the workman. Al throws a boom box at it, uh, hits, him, <laughs> hits the creature in the head, nail, or nails him in the face. He falls over and immediately shatters into a whole bunch of these tiny demons who are just running around. That's right. That's an amazing scene, again, in the trailer. Uh, yeah, that, that he's made up of them. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't want them to explain it to me, but I do want an answer. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm living in that dual space. So at this point, they're like, okay, well, we got to go for that gun. Let's get dad's gun. So they go to the closet. But at this point, uh, two things happen in quick succession. Uh, zombie demon Terry attacks. There's yes. like demon Terry's head coming out and biting at him. So Al comes in and stabs zombie <laughs> Terry in the eye socket with a Barbie doll leg. <laughs> so good. So good. This is, for me scariest moment of the of the film that yeah he's poking his head out there that he is actually biting that he is then attacked that the the kids have to attack their own friend it's just terrifying stuff yeah and the barbie doll leg part of it is like knowing that baby barbie doll legs are a little weird like you know we both had sisters so both were around barbie dolls and they have that weird thing where it's like the barbie doll kind of has like flesh and bone 
Right. And it has it's it's rigid yet soft. And somehow the idea of it going into an eye socket feels more impactful than than if if, if the zombie Terry had been stabbed with literally anything else. <laughs> right. And the the fact that the Barbie's legs and feet are pretty firm and solid and that those yeah. feet are in particular are pointy. That you know, I had a note that it really shows the the tone of the movie and the uh, the intended audience of the movie that this is all pulled off. You never see the Barbie go into the eye. You see the windup, mm-hmm. you hear the impact, and then you see the blood soaked Barbie leg <laughs> and the resulting uh, stabbed eye. But you never get. It's a punch that's intentionally pulled to be mindful to the audience, and I think it's a really thoughtful one and characterized by many other moments in the movie as well. Now, shortly after this occurs, the workman shows back up again, more chaos. I believe the shotgun goes off, but then the workman grabs Al and drags her away into the wall, into the closet wall. And now both of them are gone. It's only Glenn. And earlier in the picture, it was said, well, you know, the demons, the old gods, they only need two human sacrifices in order to fully open the gate. Well, now it looks like they have two human sacrifices so things are not looking great. That's right. And you get what, for my money, is probably the most impressive set piece of the film, which is Glenn running across this large living room floor of this, like I said earlier, amazing, amazing looking house. And that whole floor opens up as he runs across it. And we see mm-hmm. that the entire kind of footprint of the house practically is now the gate and a purple light is coming out of it. Again, that shot is in the trailer. Yeah. 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 Like it's a lot of this away. <laughs> but yeah, now in this, we're getting into the final showdown because at this point, I think Glenn seems to realize he's going to need that big rocket. And uh, the demon, little demons are swarming all over the place. And then this is when the giant demon lord arrives. We saw an, a drawing or a woodcut of him in the liner notes to that, uh, that heavy metal album uh, in the dark book. But now he has arrived and he looks tremendous. This is like a stop motion uh, creature that, uh, that looks very, very original, but also seems like it is like a, like a fifth level mega evolution of <laughs> the little demons. And uh, Ray Harryhausen would be proud of this thing. This thing looks great. Totally agree. He looks like a leveled up version of one of those Gromlins. Uh, He's got twice the eyes, twice the arms. The Mm -hmm. second set of arms are much smaller than the first arms. Just a lot of thought went into this creature and the articulations of this creature. And the way that he emerges and arises out of the hole is just an effect that it works just so well. Yeah. And there's like this showdown with the the big demon and Glenn. It like grabs Glenn and then weirdly it marks him. It like it touches him and an eyeball opens in Glenn's palm, which is a really well done effect. Yeah. Uh, and and it's also just a real shame because Terry has been taken away and Terry would have loved this. This is metal as all get out. Uh, and then the demon leaves him. It's kind of like the demon's like, hey, you you had a hand in this, uh, so here you get a special demon gift from me. And you get to live to see the new demon world. I get, you know, maybe he's going to be an ambassador. I don't know. Yeah, that's what, again, what, a thing that I couldn't figure out was, was the demon rewarding Glenn? Was the demon marking Glenn so that he could see through that eye that's now in Glenn's hand? All we know is that Glenn was spared. The demon retreated. And Glenn looks down and he's just revolt, revolted by 
this eye that's in his hand, which I agree, amazing effect. I don't know how many times I can say amazing effect during this episode, because, but there truly are so many amazing effects here. Yeah, and in different different realms. Like, this is a different style effect than anything I think we'd seen thus far. Uh, it's it's weird. I guess it, it reminds me a bit of um, the Stephen King story, uh, I Am the Doorway. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, where the guy comes back with, with eyeballs opening up in his hands, and this is a way for alien entities to, to see through him. That's right. And I think that that, to me, suggested that Glenn was maybe now a minion of the dark one, the the larger mm-hmm. demon, and maybe were, was serving as his eyes, at least in that space. And that was why he felt like he was no longer needed and retreated. Uh, but it's, it's pretty revolting and it's a very convincing, I can figure out these other effects. I can't figure this one out. I don't know how they, they pulled this one off. All right. So we get down to the, the final bit here. So the great purple vortex is rising up out of the pit. The demons are cementing their control over the earth. Only Glenn can stop them. Uh, one assumes so he's uh, if i remember this correctly the way it goes down is he stabs the palm eyeball presumably to call the big demon back big demon comes back is on his way back meanwhile glenn is setting up the the launcher for the rocket this big rocket from the closet but also using part of a rocket kit that al gave him uh he's scrambling for batteries you know kind of like the classic must reload at the last second uh bit from a from an action film nice suspense the demon lord returns and glenn fires the rocket into it and this is great too because the rocket has been cemented in, in the picture already is this it's kind of this thing this represents this loving bond between the siblings it's uh so it makes sense within the context of the film that it's not just a random child weapon this is not just kid rambo uh, fighting off a demon like this is something that represents uh bonds of love and truth that would naturally slay a demon and it does just blows the demon all to glowing pieces yeah, I, I loved this sequence. I do have to admit that this is where the movie started to lose me a little bit, this concept of this being the solution to the problem. I was on board with the demonic incantation. I would have been on board with them finding a way to more articulately work that into a message of love and light. I think I like the idea of a symbol of love and the shared bond and how well they seeded that being what saves them. But for some reason, it lost that connective tissue at that point for me and just felt like a very convenient way to end the movie. Um, But regardless, it works, you know? I mean, narratively, it worked. (laughs) Yeah, it saves the world. (laughs) All the weird purple weather stuff goes away. The, The pit seals back up. And then, well, everyone's still alive. Al uh, shows back up. Uh, Here's Terry. Uh, So Al, Terry, and Glenn are all reunited. The house is wrecked. The parents are not going to be crazy about this. But we get this sweet scene where everybody's still okay, and they have successfully defeated the demon. I do want to point out that when the demon explodes, there is a hilarious explosion scene where (laughs) Glenn is propelled out of the house End over end, feet overhead in a projection effect, but literally pinwheels out of the house and lands to to safety. We get one final scene, too, where we we see the backyard. uh, We see the place where the pit was. And there's like there's a sapling growing up there. You know, like the, the tree that was there before is being regrown. And there is Angus, the dog, still alive, carrying a shoe around. And it's it's sweet. It's nice that the dog didn't actually die, but is back. But on this, at the same level, and I didn't think about this till the second time I was watching parts of the film, 
I was like, oh, well, this this scene is also very disconnected from the rest of the movie. <laughs> Almost as if a test audience thought it was sad that the dog truly died. And they're like, well, let's just bring the dog back. We don't need any of the kids for this scene. We'll just shoot the dog in the same backyard. Yeah. Um, yeah but either way, we'll take it. A wholesome music plays in the craft roll. <laughs> I think that it makes as much sense as anything else. If two human sacrifices were needed for the demon to enter the realm, then Al and Terry should be dead. Yeah. Uh, through that same lens, the dog should be dead. They're all alive. I'm happy that they're all alive. Don't get me yeah. wrong, but something doesn't add up here. It's not, were they revived? Were they, I mean, Angus had to be, so presumably Al and Terry are. It's asking a lot of questions that a child's audience isn't really going to want to or be prepared to answer. So it, it's kind of a, a wash at that point. And like I said, for such a thoughtful movie, to have kind of that gap of, of logic there at the end. Again, not of how the magic works or how the, the necromancy works or how the gate works itself, but why everything turned out great at the end of it. It feels like it, it just couldn't find a way to do it, you know? Mm. And so I got I to gotta take a, 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 another ding for that, but it's not going to affect its overall score. I think there's also the final line that Glenn mentions to... <laughs> Uh, both Terry and Al as the camera pans away is you're my best buddies. And <laughs> that's the, that's it. That's the, end. yeah. Yeah. They just, they crank the, the wholesomeness <laughs> up all the way. Uh, and the music, the music is really, um, it's sweet. It's, it's yeah. almost sickeningly sweet at this point, yeah. but, uh, but I, I let it, I let it slide. I let it slide. Yeah. It's, it's kind of nice that a movie like this ends on a good note. The house is still all jacked up. The parents yeah. have not returned yet. So there is kind of, a, I don't know if that gets addressed in the sequel, what the parents <laughs> thought about the, the state of the house when they got back. But uh, there's a reckoning coming that we, the audience, are no longer a part of because we've seen the happy ending. The best buddies are all survived. Angus has been brought back to life and the gate theoretically is closed until 1990. All right. Well, uh, this was the gate. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a pretty fun one. Pretty, pretty yeah. sweet movie. Uh, t- I think it pr- holds up pretty well outside of uh, uh, a few bits of uh, colorful and offensive language from the children that uh, that that I guess flew okay in the in the late eighties, but definitely is not okay today. So that that would be my main reservation about say letting children watch this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, I think so. I ran into a similar instance trying to show Bill and Ted's bogus journey to my son uh, mm. recently within the past year or two. And there are some insults that are along the same line as, as are used here that are just unacceptable. And yeah. the the lift of having to explain that to a child is you don't want it. you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think this, God, I can't, can't tell you enough how much I enjoyed watching this movie, how great it was how fun it was how deeply i connected with the characters in the movie yeah. more so than i would expect from a horror movie let alone you know a kids movie uh it, it was just really really thoughtfully and tastefully done absolutely i agree and it's, it's been fun chatting about the movie with you yeah likewise thank you for having me yeah thanks for coming on so we're gonna go ahead and close it out here uh before we go uh, tell us one, one more time. Where, where do you find talk, Talking Tofu? All right. So you can find Talking Tofu wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it's You can also reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at Talking Tofu Pod. Uh, you can also find me at Line Leader on Instagram and Twitter if you want to. Uh, and yeah, I think if you, if you want to hear us 
jabber on about snacks. Sometimes we even eat snacks on mic. I think a lot of people are really into that sort of thing. Uh, come check us out. We'll have a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll remind everyone out there that Stuff to Blow Your Mind is primarily a science podcast, but on Fridays, uh, we do Weird House Cinema, and that's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a weird film. If you want to follow the movies that are covered here, I blog about them at samutamusic.com, but also if you use letterbox.com, that's L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com, we have an account there, Weird House, and you can see all the films laid out there that we've covered, and sometimes a peek at what's to come. Um, if you want to get in touch with, uh, with me uh, and, and or Joe, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. And, and if you have anything you want to say to Dave through that email, I'll forward it to him. But also, I believe you guys have, a, have one, uh, talkintofupod at gmail.com. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-T-O-F-U-P-O-D at gmail.com. And I do want to remind everyone, talkintofu, it's T-A-L-K-I-N, um, apostrophe right and then tofu yeah uh, it's a uh, little advice to people who are naming podcasts don't get silly with uh, the language or <laughs> leave off critical letters because it really does make it uh, just that much more difficult to get in touch with somebody <laughs> but that's correct it's talking without the g talking without the g all right well thanks as always to seth nicholas johnson for producing this show and yeah if you want to reach out just email me at contact at stuff to blow your mind.com stuff to blow your mind is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.